This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends. My name is Scott Gillilinden. <clears throat> I am the senior pastor here at Arapaho United Methodist Church. I want to welcome you to worship this morning, whether you're watching live right now on our website or on Facebook or on YouTube, or whether you're watching later on during the week. We want to welcome you to worship here, especially if you are new or newer, if you've been joining us online either for the first time this week or for the last several weeks or months during our online-only experience. We want to say welcome to you as well. And if you're not yet receiving our weekly newsletter or you'd like to be in contact contact with one of our pastors to learn more about the church and perhaps how you could get connected to the life of this church, I encourage you to, to go to arapahoumc.org slash new, and there you'll find a short uh, form you can fill out, and that'll sign you up for our weekly newsletter. You'll get a contact from me and another pastor on staff. Be sure to let us know if you've got kids in the home, and we'll sign you up for our weekly kids ministry newsletter as well, and you'll get a personal contact from Pastor Maggie, whom you just saw, our pastor of family ministries here at Arapaho. Today is going to be a good day, and here's why. We are continuing in our Bible on Broadway series as we celebrate the musical Dear Evan Hansen. And I want to acknowledge that a lot of us may be unfamiliar with this musical. It's relatively new. It won the Tony for Best New Musical in 2017. You might not have heard the songs or seen the show before, and I'm going to be careful not to spoil any big plot points in the sermon today. And so I don't want you to feel left out. In fact, I encourage you to see this musical at some point. Unfortunately, you can't watch it online anywhere. It's not available for streaming. Uh, but one day, in like 15 years and we can go to live events again, I encourage you to go see this musical because even though you might think that a musical about some teenagers going through the struggles of growing up in this day and age, maybe that doesn't really apply to you and you're not sure. Um, Lord, if, if that song from Warren just now didn't convince you that this is one worth seeing, um, I want to say thank you to Warren. I, there was allergies in the room. I was starting to get a tear in my eye. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a profound musical, not just about coming of age. It's about feelings of, of loss and being lost. Um, it's about depression and, and mental health and um, drug addiction and family struggles and, and being a single mom and, and all of these sort of things that people face and deal with, things that make us feel like we're alone. The song that Warren sung just a, a little while ago is actually a fantasy. 
the, the main plot of Dear Evan Hansen, without spoiling anything, is that um, through a, a series of misunderstandings, people believe that Evan is the best friend of a young, of a student who had committed suicide at his school. And, and he wasn't, but he sort of pretends that he was, and he lives this whole sort of charade. And this song is him imagining uh, this sort of fantasy of what it must be like to have a, a friend so close, so bonded with you that you share those kinds of experiences together. But in reality, Evan is a deeply shy and isolated student. And he hides a secret about his broken arm that's foreshadowed in a refrain from the song Waving Through a Window, which we heard as part of our prelude medley this morning. The refrain is this, Evan sings, When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around, do you ever really crash or even make a sound? When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around, do you ever really crash or even make a sound? This, this line is sung throughout the musical, and it's a common theme. The same year that this musical won the Tony for Best New Musical in 2017, there was a study released by the National Institute of, for Healthcare Management, and they found this, that two in five Americans report that they sometimes or always feel their social relationships are not meaningful. And one in five say that they feel lonely or socially isolated on a regular basis. One in five feel lonely or socially isolated. This theme of isolation, of feeling alone or lost, you could say, is at the heart of the Dear Evan Hansen story, as every character, every character in their own different ways feel unseen, unheard, unnoticed, and uncared for. One of the themes in the Gospel of Luke, which we just heard a reading of earlier, is Jesus making the case for a faith movement that includes not just a chosen few, but truly all of the earth. So many faith traditions up until this point have been built upon the concept that God is for me and my nation, me and my people, but not you, not yours. In chapter 15, Jesus is addressing this exact mentality when he shares with his followers what we call the three lost parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, more commonly known as the prodigal son, which is a longer parable. We didn't have it read earlier, and we'll talk about it later on this morning. In studying these parables this week, I found especially helpful the perspective of Amy Jill Levine, a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt University, and she has a book called The Short Stories of Jesus that I would commend to you if you would like to learn more. She describes herself, Dr. Levine describes herself as a Yankee Jewish feminist who teaches in a predominantly Christian divinity school in the buckle of the Bible belt. Now that's someone worth listening to. She frequently offers a helpful counter to standard Protestant commentary uh, on Scripture and asks us to consider the assumptions we make about Jesus about his Jewish faith, and about the people and place in which he lived. One of her broader points in this book is that we misread these parables in, even in the way that we name them, the first two especially, the lost sheep and the lost coin. In many interpretations of these parables, the, the one sheep or the one coin are cast in this negative light as the sinner whom a gracious God lovingly brings to repentance and back into the flock or into the coin purse. But how fair is it to blame a sheep, or especially an inanimate coin, for becoming lost? 
In fact, as we read the two parables, it becomes clear that the shepherd and the woman don't ascribe blame to what they've lost, but rather they begin and take upon themselves this exaggerated search to bring back what they've lost. Dr. Levine suggests that we could rename these stories the shepherd who lost his, coin, his sheep and the woman who lost her coin. In this first story, the shepherd who lost his sheep, Dr. Levine points out that noticing one sheep out of a hundred, now imagine that for a second, looking upon a field of 99 sheep and trying to take notice that one is missing, that would be incredibly difficult to do. It would take significant effort. I imagine that Jesus likely had the intent of making us ask ourselves the question, would I notice that sheep? Do I notice a missing sheep in my flock right now? When is the last time that I counted Dr. Levine's point is this, perhaps it is those who have who are more likely to fail to notice what is missing. Perhaps it is those who have who are more likely to fail to notice what is missing. And so what about us? Can we share in the gift offered by the Good Shepherd, this gift of, of simply noticing taking account of what is there as we look around our church, our community, our homes, our places, whatever or wherever they may be, what or who is missing? Can we pray to be given the eyes of a shepherd who sees the 99 and still goes searching for the missing one? As Dear Evan Hansen reminds us so frequently that missing sheep sits in near silence, refusing to cry out for attention wondering if any of us will even notice. In the second parable, the woman who lost her coin, just as God was portrayed as a vigilant shepherd, now God is portrayed as a woman of great responsibility and of some wealth as well. The ten coins mentioned are, the silver coins mentioned are not her entire uh, possession that we know of. She's got ten silver coins. That's put her ahead of most people in the world at her time. She could certainly survive with a relatively small loss, but no. God turns over her house, leaving no corner, no cranny, unseen, unsearched. More than that, this feminine vision of God expresses a virtue that her male shepherd counterpart did not. Personal responsibility to which my wife would say, duh, are we that surprised? The one that I had lost, she says, God says, the one that I had lost. Dr. Levine says this, challenging us again in the form of a question, will we take responsibility for the losing? And what effort will we make to find it or him or her or them again? Can we take responsibility like the woman, can we take responsibility for the losing? Here at AUMC, we've proudly proclaimed on yard signs that we belong to each other. And by we, we don't just mean our church community. We mean we, the people of earth, belong to each other. But can we live like those words matter? Do we see ourselves as responsible for one another? Each other is dearly valuable, so much so that we are willing to overturn our lives for the sake of of another person's life and to spare no expense in the celebration when what had been lost is found. 
Speaking of celebration, that turns us to the third parable, the one that wasn't read this morning. It's a lengthy parable. I'm going to summarize most of it for us now. There's a father with two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son asks his father for his inheritance before he's dead. It's essentially saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Give me my stake now. So he takes his money and he runs. He goes off to the equivalent of Vegas at the time. He he lives it up, parties it up, spends all of his money and ends up with nothing. And he starts working for a pig farmer and a famine hits the land. And he gets so hungry, so desperate for food that he ends up eating the slop of the pigs. And in this moment, in his rock bottom moment, he remembers, he, he realizes that he's got a father who has servants who live better than even he does. And he thinks to himself, I should go home and simply ask for a job. And so he, he does that. He goes back home, and as his father sees him walking up the road, he runs out to meet him. He embraces him, and he puts a robe on him and a ring on his finger and says, come inside. And he gets all the servants to throw him a party. He says, get the fatted calf. It's time to throw a celebration for my son who is alive and who's been found. But the end of the parable reads as this. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then the older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to his eldest son, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. In the first two parables, there's this two clear main characters, one who's lost and one who's found. There is the sheep and the shepherd. There's the coin and the woman. But in this final parable, there's a third character introduced, this onlooking older brother. It's more complicated. It's not a a stretch to suggest that the younger son was not the only one who was lost in this story. In fact, you could say that it is the story not of the younger son being found, but rather of the older son coming to understand just how truly lost he is. He refused to acknowledge his brother's departure as any real loss. So he's not like the shepherd. He doesn't see or care about what's missing. He refused to take any responsibility for him at all. This son of yours, he says. So he's not like the woman who takes responsibility, especially in his rearrival. Jesus offers us no simple or clear explanation for this parable either. The story simply ends. It's the most narrative and complex of the three that we've heard today. It appears as though Jesus wants us to wrestle with this story more than offering an easy answer or a simple explanation. I wonder if part of Jesus' intent is to have us consider whether we have adopted the superior position 
of the brother, to count ourselves within the righteous flock, the coins secure in the purse, the ones who stayed by God's side. Is Jesus challenging us to consider whether we are just as lost as the older brother? More so is Jesus asking us to consider if through finding one another, through seeking out the one sheep, turning over the house for the one coin, roasting the fatted calf for a sibling returned to us, if through these acts of finding we ourselves are found. Could it be that Jesus is saying, until the one sheep is back in the flock, none of us are. Until the coin purse is full, the balance is zero. Until every sibling is home, the party cannot begin. This Sunday, as I consider these three parables, as I benefit from the lens of Dr. Levine, and as I reflect on the gift of dear Evan Hansen, I'm struck with this truth. It is in finding one another that we too are found. It is through expanding the beloved community that we too belong. And it is through expressing the attentive, responsible, and radical love of God that we too experience such love. This others-oriented, deeply connected way of living was stirring in my mind, heart, and soul this week as I, like all of us, grieved the news of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. A lot has and will be said about notorious RBG, as she was known. In fact, I know Pastor Kathy plans to uplift her example next week in her sermon on ragtime. This Sunday, though, I'd like to highlight what she said when asked about the legacy that she hoped to leave behind. She said this in an interview, I'd like to be remembered as someone who used whatever talent she had to do her work to the very best of her ability and to help repair tears in her society to make things a little better through the use of whatever ability she has, to do something, as my colleague David Souter would say, outside myself. Because I've gotten so much more satisfaction for the things that I've done which I was not paid. To do something outside myself. To repair tears in our society. That's a legacy that Judge Ginsburg certainly leaves behind. And I want to say that I'm proud to serve a church that aspires to live into such a legacy as well. As I consider these lost parables and how we're found through finding others, I'm encouraged by the work that you, the people called Arapahoe United Methodist Church, have been about for decades. Work that was marked in a special way this past weekend at our North Texas Annual Conference. Jonah Ballesteros is a lay member here at Arapahoe. And for the last couple of years, he has been working towards being recognized as a consecrated home missioner. If you don't know what that is, don't worry, I wasn't quite clear myself. I had to Google this. But a home missioner is a lay person, not a clergy member of the United Methodist Church, who is called to set apart ministry, a very specific kind of ministry, a lost parables kind of ministry. Their calling is this, to alleviate suffering to eradicate causes of injustice and all that robs life of dignity and worth, to facilitate the development of full human potential, and to share in building global community through the church universal. Jonah was consecrated by our bishop, whose hands were laid upon him as he was set apart for this important work. And Jonah 
we, know, we don't only get to share in the pride of recognizing being a part of his call, but now we get to be a home base for his ministry. Jonah, we celebrate with you this weekend. and We recognize that this is a part of the Arapaho legacy that you now join. But Jonah wasn't the only one to have the bishop's hands laid upon him this weekend. Our own Pastor Kathy was ordained as a deacon in the United Methodist Church. And I imagine there's the chat feed is blowing up right now with woohoos and yays for Pastor Kathy. This comes from several, several years of hard work between seminary and the ordination process, which is arduous and a good and refining process as well. As a deacon in the United Methodist Church, Pastor Kathy is called to a lost parables kind of work. It's a set-apart ministry for clergy who are called to, as we say, word, service, compassion, and justice. And if you know Pastor Kathy, you know those words resound in her life and in her work. Our book of discipline describes the call of a deacon in this way. From the earliest days of the church, deacons were called and set apart for the ministry of love, justice, and service and for connecting the church with the most needy, neglected, and marginalized among the children of God. We celebrate and affirm the call and the setting apart of Pastor Kathy and of Jonah this weekend, but my friends, let us not rest in simply celebrating what God has called them to do, because this work is not theirs alone. They are called to set apart ministry to help fix our attention to those who are lost, to recognize that we ourselves are lost until we take this work upon ourselves, till we notice the one sheep, until we turn up and turn over our lives for the one coin, until we can celebrate with the one who comes home. Let us not simply sit and celebrate in the power of our legacy, my friends, but rather let us be propelled by it. Let us seek out and offer grace to the lost, and in so doing, may we be found as well. Amen.